This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. Glad to have you on this Monday Drive. Where I've been having issues with the way the Tar Heels win on Saturdays being framed by my friends in the media. Everywhere I've read, it's been some version of Duke blew it. The Devils choked. They ruined Coach K's final night. Almost like North Carolina didn't exist. Like the Tar Heels weren't the ones making the plays, scoring the baskets, that entire deal. And it was predictable for me. I was there. I arrived at around 1.30 in the afternoon, close to five hours before tip. And I started talking with my friends who were in the national media and some local media as well. And the question that I asked many of them was, how are you guys going to handle things if North Carolina were to win? It was a scenario a lot of people had not really thought about. The idea of Coach K losing his final game to Carolina was incomprehensible. What's going to happen? But the question I have was, well, if Coach K is going to have his post-game ceremony where they dedicate a bench to him, give him that as a gift, and he has his entire family out there, and North Carolina is going to be having their post-game press conference at the same time, well, which one do you attend? Which one's more newsworthy? I honestly didn't know what I was going to do. But once that final horn sounded, I knew in my gut what I had to do. And that was get out of my seat and get where Hubert Davis was going to be. Because Hubert Davis was the story from Cameron, not Coach K. That's how I felt. It didn't feel like a lot of people agreed with me. Because when I got to that post-game press conference, it felt like I was covering East Carolina basketball again in the old Conference USA. There's only like five people in the room. Nobody was there. It was eerie. Because everybody was out there telling Coach K's story. Seeing Coach K say goodbye the entire deal. I think Hubert and North Carolina was the story, not what happened with Coach K. Duke didn't lose that game. North Carolina won it. There are a lot of crazy stats you can find from Saturday. North Carolina not making any subs in the second half. Duke not being upset by North Carolina, an unranked North Carolina team on senior night since Hubert Davis was on the team in 1990. There are a number of things you can pull, but this one I felt was the craziest stat. Saturday was the first time in North Carolina history that four players scored 20 points in the same game. Not just the Duke-Carolina series. In any basketball game, Saturday was the first time North Carolina had four players score 20 in the same game. And it happened in that game. North Carolina earned it. The Heels jumped on Duke, leading 9-2. The Heels outscored Duke in the final 10 minutes by 18 points. They played an almost perfect second half. Reminiscent of Villanova against Patrick Ewing in 85. 60% shooting. 
Just one turnover in the final 20 minutes. It was a perfect half. They were the deserving team. And a lot of people owe Hubert Davis an apology today. Even me to a degree, which I didn't expect because I've tried to defend Hubert all along. When I picked North Carolina to be a fringe tournament team, picking them fifth or sixth in the preseason poll, I did that in defense of Hubert because I felt the expectations were too big that were being attached to him. I felt he was going to be a really good coach and that the expectations for year one were a bit too big. Turns out, I didn't go big enough. They were picked third in the preseason. They finished third. He maximized them down the stretch, winning 11 of the last 13 games. He deserves all the credit for that. So I'll apologize for selling him short. But the people I'm mainly talking about, the ones I'm talking to that owe Hubert an apology big time, are the ones after Kentucky that conveniently came out of the woodwork to say, well, should have hired Wes Miller. That should have been the hire. Even after the pick game, writing them off saying, well, you know, if they had a better coach, Roy was still here. They'd be a tournament team right now. They're not going to make the tournament after losing the pit. A lot of people owe Hubert an apology. North Carolina made the right choice. He's done a tremendous job this year. Hubert's not the type to flex after a game. He was asked directly, hey, do you feel validation in winning this type of game? He said, no. I wanted to give my players a chance to win. Those are the guys who deserve all the credit. But there was one brief moment where Hubert spiked the, spiked the football. You know, spiked the volleyball, so to speak. Had the opportunity, and he flexed a bit. I know we're 23-8. and eight. I know we've won 11 out of the last 13. I know that we have a double buy in the ACC tournament, and we're the third seed. And I know that nobody even thought that we had a chance of winning tonight. I'm sorry. I was, it wasn't your question. I was just ready to give that answer. I apologize. <laughs> he was ready for it. And he should enjoy it. On the way out, after his press conference ended and he's stepping away from the podium, Steve Kirshner, who's the North Carolina Sports Information Director, said, if you go outside our locker room, a couple more guys are going to be available, but it's going to be really brief. Hubert heard that and said, yeah, be quick, because we need to hit Franklin Street tonight. Love that. North Carolina had more at stake than Duke. If Duke won, they would have felt relief. It's a game they're supposed to win. They feel badly if they didn't win. If North Carolina won like they did, it's the greatest win they've ever gotten against Duke. ACC tournament titles, I don't think, I think they pale in comparison versus what was at stake here and how it's going to be remembered historically. It also clinched an NCAA tournament berth. I don't think North Carolina's on the bubble anymore. Even if they lose their first game Thursday at 9.30, that's where they're slated to play as the number three seed. Hubert Davis, he was the story from Cameron, not Coach K, despite the way that it's being framed nationally. 336-777-1600 on Twitter at WSJS Sports. Certainly welcoming phone calls today. We'll get to the Duke side of it in a second. Let's go to Stuart in Greensboro, though, who wants in on the Tar Heels. Stuart, how you feeling today? Hey, as a Carolina fan, ab- absolutely great. And uh, I'm glad that you went in that presser with uh, Hubert. And thanks for sharing how few people were there. But I thought his press conference was fantastic, showing how he prepared the team at the beginning. He provided... Uh, uh, some scripture that he shared with his his team 
And uh, it was very impressive how he looked at this particular game. And I think one of the things that national media uh, failed to realize is that maybe you um, were trying, not you specifically, but people didn't give Hubert Davis or this team without any All-Americans any credit. But what they undervalued was Carolina basketball. And Carolina basketball program is why it's one of the most special things around in sports. Uh, If you saw that video of Hubert and Armando crying in the locker room and Brady Manning came in along with Leaky Black um, and then going on Franklin Street afterwards and partying, um, you know, that's just what makes it great. And it's what makes the rivalry great. Now, I would not be surprised at all if Kay doesn't use this as motivation and they win the national championship and then Duke gets the final laugh at that point. And as a Carolina fan, somebody's got to beat them in the NCAA tournament. It wouldn't surprise me either. I appreciate the call, Stuart. The moment from the press conference that stuck with me the most from Hubert was when he was describing that scene that we saw on video with Armando Baycott and Brady Manick hugging their coach and Hubert only saying, I'm so proud of you guys, was Hubert saying that it's okay to be emotional and that Brady went up to him at the end of regulation and said, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for allowing this to happen. And Hubert's only response to Brady was, no, 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 thank you for choosing us. I got to imagine that's why Kyler Murray was there. A lot of people were wondering that. I put that picture up and a lot of, you know, that went all over the place on the internet. That's the only thing I can think of. Kyler Murray sitting behind the Carolina bench, maybe friends with Brady Manick when they were at Oklahoma together. It's the only thing that might make sense. On Twitter at WSJS Sports. WSJS Sports on Twitter, 336-777-1600, the phone number. Getting to the Duke side of things. (sighs) That was not the way I think they saw Saturday going. As almost every aspect of Coach K's farewell tour, or the Cameron farewell, went wrong. It reminds me of one of my favorite movies. Robert, have you seen 500 Days of Summer? I think it's my favorite movie. Never seen it. Well, you need to check it out. It's um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Zoe Deschanel, and there's an iconic scene, not to play spoiler, even though this movie's been old, been out for about 15 years now, where they have a split screen, and at the bottom it says in one box, reality, and then the other box, expectations, and the main character, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, he's wanting to get back together with a girl, and in one of the boxes, it's his expectations, and he walks in, and he has a gift for her, And she loves it and gives him a hug. And by the end of the night, they're smooching. Then in the reality box, which is slightly behind the expectations box, it's how things actually go. He gets up to the door and she's giving him a handshake. And she doesn't love the gift as much. And at the end of the night, rather than getting back together, the guy learns that the woman has found someone else and that she's engaged. That's... How I imagine Coach K felt Saturday. How Duke felt. From the jump, the only thing missing, I hope I wish they had a camera in Roy Williams' house watching, watching Kansas before the Duke Carolina game. And he's wearing a Kansas sticker as Kansas goes to overtime with Texas, meaning that the entire pregame ceremony with K putting on a show and being emotional the entire deal isn't being broadcast to a national audience, but he thinks it is. 
He thinks everybody across the country is watching, but what they're actually watching is Kansas and Texas in overtime. They wanted the nation to see the pregame ceremony with all the former players and the tears and the emotion. That's why the tip was pushed to 620. Kansas nuked that. And in the picture pregame, it kind of felt like a wedding, right? On Friday, you had Coach K addressing the crowd and, you know, you get ready for Saturday and it's around 6 o'clock and, you know, we're going to have these ceremonies and we hope it plays out a certain way. But I doubt you're getting all those noteworthy players in the building to do any type of a rehearsal. So when they did the picture, I was surprised to see who was around Coach K and who wasn't. I didn't have Steve Wojciechowski and Quinn Cook billed as the two guys with their arms around K. I looked at the picture. Where, where is Shane Battier? Well, I know where he was because we were near the back on the sideline, and I saw Shane Battier trying to fit into the picture. Same for Jay Williams and Christian Leitner, while Mike Buckmeyer's in the front row. That couldn't have been planned that way. And the ceremonies clearly bothered Duke. North Carolina, as I mentioned, started on a 9-2 run. And they got blitzed in the final 10 minutes. The guys just didn't seem prepared for that moment. And everything about the finish was uncomfortable. If you hate North Carolina, or excuse me, you hate Duke, you probably love seeing many of the most polarizing Blue Devils in the same place, just disappointed, looking like disappointed dads in the final five minutes of that game, whether it be Grant Hill with his arms crossed, or Leitner, or Danny Ferry, or... Grayson Allen, who was the only active NBA player there, or Cherokee Parks, or J.J. Redick. But the entire game, they were standing, and they were locked in. And the postgame ceremony, Coach K gave us a drop that I'm sure we're going to play. Robert, this seems like a flexible piece of sound that we could just finagle into many different things regarding Coach K, I feel. That, no, please, no. Please, everyone be quiet. Yes. Anytime somebody wants to talk blank about Coldplay to my face, this is how I'm going to respond. That, no, please, no. Please, everyone be quiet. Let's go to Michael in Clemens, who I will not tell to be quiet, like Coach K talking to the crazies after the game. Michael, you got the last word on this subject. I just don't know how we could possibly say that this was the most meaningful Carolina win over Duke when there was absolutely nothing at stake for Duke. Number one seed's already locked up in the conference tournament. You've already got them uh, locked into a relatively high seed. Maybe they had an outside shot at a one. I mean, it was a good win for Carolina. It's nice that they're in the tournament, but come on. This, I mean, they wanted to win for Coach K. All right, give, grand, me, like, give me one that's greater. Like, uh, give me the alternative. If you say it's not that, well, give me one that is. I mean, how many games have there been where they've come into the last game of the season with the ACC regular season title, and we all know the tournament is the championship, but, but where the, the number one seed has been on the line. 2011, I mean, they, they, they met in the ACC championship in Greensboro and also met in the final game of the regular season with the title on the line, too. But the fact that we don't remember that game, I think, speaks to the point. I, 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 think, I just think it's hard to say that it's going to be meaningful. I mean, I think if, if they go into the NCAA tournament and they lose a, an 8-9 game to Boise State, it's going to be a blip on the radar. Yeah, I guess it'll be something that Carolina fans cherish because they hate Duke and Kay, but eh, I, I, I don't know what, what we're going to be thinking about this 10 years from now. Okay, we'll see. Well, maybe we'll revisit that later on. Thanks for the call, Michael. 
I see what he's saying there. Obviously, Duke doesn't have anything at stake, but I do think people are going to remember Coach K's last game, and a lot of that has to do with the buildup leading up to it and how that's... They, they essentially took an entire week of the of ads on ESPN promoting this. They build it the biggest college basketball broadcast ever in North Carolina 1. He tries to be funny. Obnoxious. It really is obnoxious. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Oh my God, it's corn. You got a lot of pizza in the Another set of tickets. Bring them in. 336-777-1600. I didn't even know we were giving away another pair of corn tickets this hour. Wow. The surprises you're in for even when you're hosting the drive. That's outstanding. 777-1600. Corn going to be in town on Friday. We've got Graham's grades to do in a second. But first, an update on this really bizarre story we're seeing play out in the NFL right now. In the last hour, it was announced that Calvin Ridley was going to be suspended for the 2022 season for betting on NFL games. Remember, he was separated from the team for mental health concerns and never returned to the team. During that stretch, apparently, in November, he had placed a number of parlay bets on his cell phone. Assumedly where gambling is legal. I don't know if it was with FanDuel or any of these others that are now partners with the NFL, but this is the latest that Adam Schefter brings to us. The NFL determined that Calvin Ridley placed multi-legged parlays involving three, five, and eight games that included the Falcons to win in all of them, per source. Investigation determined there was no involvement from any of his teammates, coaches, etc., and it was placed on his mobile device outside of the state of Georgia. So all of them featured the Falcons to win. That was always the defense for Pete Rose. Pete Rose said, I always I only bet on the Reds. I never bet against the Reds. Calvin Ridley wasn't even playing. Am I wrong to think that Calvin Ridley should not be punished an entire season? Number one, since gambling is now legal, much more legal than it was back in the 80s. Number two, he wasn't with the team when this happened. Number three, he was betting on the Falcons, and it's not like you just got to take Pete Rose's word for it. It's digital currency that you could say, Hey, I only bet on the Falcons. You can see that with the bets that I made through, you name the device I did it through, or uh, the, the company I did it through. All of that leads me to, why is Calvin Ridley suspended a year? That's where I arrive on this. Yeah. I, I arrive on this because it seems like to me the NFL is just trying to make an example of him trying to discourage other people from doing what he's doing or what he did, and even though it's not so bad, you're going to make an example out of somebody so that the deterrent is so great that nobody else takes a chance of doing something similar. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, especially when Antonio Brown is missing like minimal games for, for falsifying 
COVID results. Yeah. Ray Rice got suspended two games initially for domestic violence. So I, I think we could look at this a little bit and be like, okay, is this a little harsh? Uh, but in, I believe it was the 2020 season, uh, another player got suspended, but it was the same exact amount of time. His name was Josh Shaw. He was a cornerback, and he got suspended for the full season as well. So this isn't – I understand them trying to make a jump on this because it is a, not just a well-known player, probably a star player on the team that he's on. He, There need to be some repercussions, but this isn't it. There's only one Falcons game that I give a rip about that if he bet on, and he wasn't on the team in the Super Bowl season of 28-3. to so if he didn't, if he wasn't betting on that game and he wasn't on the team, then I don't care. I don't care. So I, yeah, it should probably be a little less, but he's going to have a hard time fighting out of it. Let's get to Graham's grades. Transitioning back to the ACC. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. We don't need no education. Who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Hey, teacher, leave kids alone. Time for Graham's grades. A through F. The really good from the ACC, the really bad from the ACC over the weekend, starting with A. The North Carolina Tar Heels. Could it be anybody else? They went into Cameron. They beat their greatest rival on the night that they were honoring Coach K. And if you're a Tar Heel fan, you got to see not just Coach K sad face, a lot of the most hated Blue Devils, most polarizing Blue Devils ever, sitting right behind the bench and you had the close-ups on their faces as the game was rolling towards the final horn. Christian Leitner, Danny Ferry, Cherokee Parks, Shane Battier, Grayson Allen, J.J. Redick, they were all there. And I don't think it gets any better, at least in the regular season, where I'll even put broad in the scope to the Duke-Carolina rivalry than the win North Carolina had at Cameron Saturday. We'll talk more about this game in about 10 minutes. B. NC State women's hoops. Yes, we're including the ladies in this. NC State won its third straight ACC title. The Coliseum was packed full of red. And Alyssa Kinane, the Summerfield, North Carolina native, got it done with a double-double. She's the most outstanding player in the tournament. One of the greatest players in NC State's program history. A program that has rich tradition dating back to Kay Yao and so many great players to roll through that program. Alyssa Kinane and this recent run that Wes Moore has enjoyed, it's special. And this is truly a national championship contender that they have in Raleigh. C. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish. North Carolina could have had the number two seed if not for Notre Dame beating Pittsburgh. But the Irish took care of business. They knew what they had to do, and they did it. And they won by 24, leaving no doubt against one of the bottom feeders in the ACC. And in doing so, they have a really tight rotation at South Bend. Five guys went for double digits in the game. Lecheski with the game high, 17. 15 points for uh, Cormac Ryan, who is just... A threat beyond a three-point line. Blake Wesley's going to be a first-round pick, I think. I really like the Irish's chances going into the week. Tomorrow we'll reveal 
our full ACC tournament predictions as things get started in Brooklyn. Notre Dame, the number two seed, though, taking care of business against the uh, Pitt Panthers. D. Syracuse. Goodness. Syracuse. The, this is the issue I have with the game they had Saturday. You might look at the score and say, Josh, it can't be that bad. They only lost by three to a team that has a double bye in Miami. You're, you're just being harsh here. First off, they lost the game at home. Second off, it looks like they were all tailoring their game to trying to get Buddy Beheim the scoring lead in the ACC. That seemed like the primary, the primary focus for them rather than winning the game. And a way I feel pretty confident in saying that is when he got the 30th point with a minute left to go, Syracuse just stopped playing. Miami scored 10 straight to close the game and won by three. They blew it late. It was a horrific loss. And it feeds the argument why Buddy Bayheim might not be deserving of first-team All-ACC, even though he led the league in scoring. Buddy did get that distinction this morning. Doesn't mean I agree with it. That was a horrific loss for the Orange. F. But not the worst loss of the weekend. No. That belongs to Virginia Tech. If you thought Virginia Tech had a shot at sneaking into the at-large bid discussion and doing so you know, with that great net ranking they have and not having to win the ACC tournament to do so, well, those dreams, I believe died Saturday at Clemson. They lost to the Tigers by four, but remember, Clemson's been banged up. P.J. Hall, he returned. Now, there's no chance he's playing 100%, but without Hunter Tyson, Clemson's a different basketball team. They're a team that plays on Tuesday rather than Wednesday of the tournament, and Virginia Tech got outplayed, just like Wake Forest got outplayed a couple weeks ago at Clemson. It's a bad loss because of the timing of it. Virginia Tech should be better than that. I, I think they have to win the tournament in order to get to win or earn a, in that large bid spot in the tournament, especially since they're not on Duke's side of the bracket. I might feel differently. I might have felt differently if they could get a win against Duke on Friday in a hypothetical sense and they lose in the championship game. No, I think they have to win the ACC tournament in order to get in now. The only team that's a bubble team that I think can get into the tournament without having to win the championship, there's two actually. It's Wake Forest and there's Virginia because I think Notre Dame's in. I think Miami's in as well. North Carolina, they're in after winning at Duke. So Wake Forest and Virginia has had the most at stake this week for teams that could still get in without having to win the entire thing. And that's been Graham's grades for this week, final weekend of the ACC regular season. I think he is very insightful. He makes some really great points. He's the man. He's the man. <laughs> the Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. What's going to actually happen in those 40 minutes? I like Duke to win the game. Came the glove and Leaky Black 
have each sat for just two minutes. Davis, boy, they leave him wide open and he makes them pay. There is still a clear mismatch here. Either Paulo or AJ Griffin's gonna go off. I don't know which one. Davis gets around Bancaro, throws it by Baycott, it's loose, and it belongs to the Blue Devils. Griffin blocked by Baycott. Wow, what a block with the left hand. Caleb Love and RJ Davis combined for one for eight from three-point range. A lot of that had to do with Duke's perimeter D. I like Duke to win the game. Again, the ball screen. Davis with a floater, and he's got 16. I was about to say, defiantly. Well, Paulo still did go off. But then that RJ Davis, Caleb Love sound hit me like an uppercut. Yeah, those guys were one for eight from three in the last meeting. Both other over 20 points on Saturday. That's still not fair. Not fair for you to do me like that just because I said it wasn't going to be a gimme. And, you know, North Carolina plus 11 and a half, that entire deal. But I did say Duke was going to win the game, so I'll take that. Brian Geisiger, he'll join us in a little over 10 minutes. I had a few celebrity encounters at Cameron on Saturday. When I first walked into the building, I ran into Dirk Nowitzki getting a tour of Cameron Indoor Stadium. Why was Dirk Nowitzki there? That was my first question. Why are you here, Dirk? And he said he had never been to a college basketball game before. But if he were to play college hoops, going back to the mid to late 1990s, the program he would have considered playing for was North Carolina. He played with the Mavs, of course, alongside Hubert Davis. He played alongside Christian Leitner, too, who he told me he hung out with on campus earlier that day. So seeing Dirk Nowitzki, that was pretty cool. He was sitting behind the bench, and it was also a cool moment to see Mike Dunleavy and J.J. Redick ambush him from behind at halftime. The second celebrity encounter I had was actually right before tip. I was standing next to the Carolina bench, catching up with our old pal Brandon Robinson, who's now on staff, and Jeff Lebo, who's on staff with the Tar Heels. And then right behind me, Scott Van Pelt rolled into his courtside seat. And I said something to Scotty, who a lot of people were trying to talk to and tried to get at. Just congratulations on winning the NSMA, National Sportscaster of the Year. And he heard me, but then other people wanted pictures, that entire deal. So I turned back around towards the court. And then I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turn around, and it's Scotty. And he's like, well, tell me more about this event. I I'd never been before. So we started talking about Dave Gorin and the great job he does with the NSMA and how they're going to honor Stuart Scott that night, him being a Greensboro guy. And we got to talking about Stu, uh, Stu Scott a little bit, and he told me some Stu Scott stories, which I appreciated. Love Stuart Scott, a guy that I look, looked up to but never had a chance to meet. But then I had to ask him, Scott is a huge Maryland fan. He a Terp. That's what he's about. And this is Duke. And Maryland's supposed to hate Duke. What, what are you doing here? And also, why aren't you wearing Maryland gear? So I asked, I thought, man, where's the dirty Terp gear? And he said, <laughs> kind of looking next to somebody with wheels up, who's the reason why he's there. Nah, I had to show respect. It's kind of what he said. I had to show respect, okay? He's been good to us and, you know, just want to show respect. So I thought that was the end of it. I started to walk away. He grabs my arm. I look back. 
and he's pointing down at his shoes. And he pulls up his pant leg, and he reveals Maryland socks. I'm like, can I tweet that? No, 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 no. Can't do that. Gotta show respect. But he had a little bit of Maryland gear on. And the last encounter I had, remember, I arrived around 1.30. This game tipped off at 6.20. I'm trying to leave now at 10.30 at night. I'm assuming everybody's already gone at this point. This is like two hours after that ceremony had already ended. And as I'm walking out the door, a guy with his purple hoodie up held the door open for me. Held the door open for me. I walk out not thinking anything of it. I look back to thank the guy for holding the door open, and it's Terrell Owens. And Terrell Owens also held the door open for the people walking out with him behind me, Duke legend Gene Banks and former Blue Devil assistant Gene, uh, Steve Wojciechowski. So they walk out, and we're walking back to our cars, and T- I start asking, T.O., like, where's this Duke love come from? Because I saw you at the Wake Forest game a few weeks back. And he said that he became friends with Grant Hill's dad. Grant Hill's dad, who obviously has the ties with the Cowboys already, but when T.O. was on the team in the mid-2000s, Calvin Hill was around, and they became friends. And with Grant being at the game, T.O. is going to be at the game as well. So just uh, a few encounters, and it seemed un- surreal, but also completely normal that those folks would be at the game, just like Kyler Murray being there and Jerry Seinfeld and Adam Silver and the entire deal. So those were some of the encounters I had in case you were interested in that. On Twitter, at WSJS Sports, 336-777-1600, phone number. Wake Forest took home the two biggest ACC awards this morning. Alondis Williams is the player of the year. Steve Forbes, who joined us earlier in the show, and if you missed that conversation, it's already up on our podcast channel. If you search The Drive with Josh Graham, he is the coach of the year. Forbes has said many times this year, even on this show, that one of the hardest things to earn back is respect. When you've been bad as long as Wake Forest was bad, the hardest thing to earn back is respect. And when Forbes says that the process has become, has already began earning that respect back at the ACC, this is what it looks like. Winning awards like this. And Forbes is getting a lot of credit. A lot of this is getting a lot of credit, and they deserve the the bulk of it. So let me say that first. But another person that deserves a lot of credit today is John Curry. John Curry deserves the credit for bringing in Steve Forbes because two years ago, one month removed from two years ago, Curry took an enormous risk, a risk that nobody else in the country was willing to take. And that's making a coaching change in the first month of the pandemic. There were economic concerns. There were health concerns. Was, was there going to be basketball the next season? Indoors, how are we going to figure that out? And with a substantial buyout attached to Danny Manning, the risk they took was a great one. But he pulled the trigger on it the last week of April and brought in Forbes. And I think... If it was a normal cycle where there are normally nine or ten other openings, I don't think they get a coach of that quality. I said at the time when they brought him in, Steve Forbes had the most impressive resume an incoming coach has ever had coming to Wake Forest. And you bring in a coach like that because you have no other competition vying for those same coaches. And since there was a built-in relationship between Forbes and Curry 
dating back to the Tennessee days, Forbes was willing to take that risk and jump to another place during the pandemic. It came down to Forbes and Wes Miller. And Wes Miller would have been the more popular choice around here, but Curry did what he thought was best, and it was Forbes. I think Wes would have done a good job, but he probably wouldn't have been as good at recruiting the transfer portal and taking advantage of the one-time transfer as Steve was. So Steve was perfectly equipped for the time, and Wake Forest called a break that nobody else was looking for a coach, and nobody was willing to take the risk that they took in April of 2020, nearly two years ago. So John Curry deserves a lot of credit. Alondis Williams, he's the best story in the country. Folks are mad. Carolina fans are mad. How's Leaky Black not the defensive player of the year? How's Armando Baycott not the player of the year? He deserves it. Arlandis isn't even the leading scorer in the ACC anymore after Buddy dropped 30. Armando. To answer that concern, Arlandis was the most consistently great player in the ACC this year. He only had one game where he scored in single digits. One. Meanwhile... Armando Baycott had five of those games. Armando. And in big games, the first time against Duke, against Purdue, the pit game comes to mind. This isn't meant to disparage Baycott, but when you're talking about who's had the better season, Alondis has been more consistent. And also, there's only been two centers to win the award in the last 23 years. Why? Because they don't get the ball as much. They're not as valuable just because of the position that they play, or at least they don't. they're not the ones that win these awards generally. They don't do as much in the way of creation and with usage. So Alondis, the stats back it up, but also from a storytelling perspective, he went from six points a game at Oklahoma to the ACC Player of the Year and now becoming a first-round draft pick, in my opinion. That's unbelievable. He is the clear winner in my mind. I would have voted for Coach K to win Coach of the Year. But Forbes is deserving, too. And Steve Forbes even said that he voted for Coach K. Forbes is deserving. I didn't have a problem with him winning it. I would have voted K, but Forbes is deserving. But the best moment of the day was no doubt on Packer and Durham this morning right here on WSGS Sports when they had Forbes on and Wes Durham said who was the first person, asked Forbes who the first person he thought of was when he won this award, and Forbes said his dad. My dad is the proudest person in heaven. Um, it's going to make me cry, man. Um, you know, just to come from, you know, gravel road to tobacco road. Yeah. It's amazing. And yeah. um, I miss my dad. Hashtag print the shirts from gravel roads to tobacco roads. Speed dot mad at me? Hmm. No, he says he's got insight on the handshaking incident with Chris Carrawell and Hubert Davis. So he'll be in with me on Wednesday, and we'll get to the bottom of that. I think Wes Durham's also going to join us that day, too. Big week with the ACC tournament, which we're going to be carrying all the games for starting on Thursday. Really excited for that. Wake Forest, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Syracuse. All those teams are going to be playing on Wednesday. Which one has the best shot at making a run and potentially winning the tournament in Brooklyn? We'll discuss that with BG, and I'll try to out-precise the guy's snacks. He's nuts. You sound insane. Do you realize that? You should be medicated. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports.
another NFL headline to keep an eye on. According to Jonathan Alexander, the Panthers' state-of-the-art facility that's going up in Rock Hill, South Carolina, has been put on hold as the city is apparently apparently a year late on payment. That's according to the Charlotte Observer. Good luck trying to make the Dallas Star, whatever they call that thing that they have with the theme park and all the stores and such and their training facility. Good luck trying to make that happen in Rock Hill, South Carolina. We'll see how that all shakes out. Meanwhile, Brian Geisiger, he's here with us from ACC sports.com i'll try to out precise the guys in a little bit a few things i want to get to with you we've got the acc tournament bracket in front of us here and wake forest is a five seed if they win they'll have miami on thursday if virginia is likely going to be north carolina's first opponent on thursday duke's going to have the first game on thursday as the tournament's number one seed probably going to be a big crowd there in brooklyn with Syracuse facing the Blue Devils that day. And NC State plays tomorrow in a 10-15 matchup, limiting it to the teams on Wednesday. Talking about Syracuse, talking about... uh, So assuming Syracuse is able to win against Florida State, you have that big crowd against the Blue Devils. Syracuse, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest. Who do you think has the best chance of making a run through the tournament and potentially winning the thing on Saturday? Uh, yeah, well, first off, about that uh, bit of Panthers news, um, man, if only the team had some, I don't know, like a, like a billionaire owner that could maybe, uh, could maybe, could maybe foot the bill for that. Oh, I guess, but you know, I mean, it just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Richest um, owner in the NFL worth $13 billion. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's got a, yeah, I mean, in, in Rock Hill, South Carolina is on the hook for <laughs> the practice facility. We love it, don't we? Um I, I guess I would say if I had to pick, I mean, like, I think you want to be on the side of the bracket where you play Duke the last, like if you're doing that type of like, you know, kind of game theory with these teams. And, and if that's the case, then I think Virginia certainly has a good shot, but like, or a shot or whatever. But, um, you know, I think Wake Forest is just one of those teams that because of their personnel, the, the one-two punch of Alonis Williams and Jake LaRavia. Like, I just think that's such a killer tandem. We've seen it all season, and I'm fascinated to know what it'll look like in a, you know, a single elimination postseason tournament. Like, I think that's a killer combination, and Wake still has a lot to play for as well. So if I were to pick one of those teams, I'd save the Deeks, um, even though it's it's a pretty tough task to try to, like, you know, possibly get through – Miami and then possibly have to get their Duke, but I'll say the Demon Deacons. He's on Twitter at BGuys underscore bird. Read his stuff, accsports.com. What selection or non-selection did you have the biggest issue with when it comes to all ACC or ACC awards today? Yeah, I thought for the most part it was it was fine. Like uh, the the one sort of like biggest head scratcher, I guess perhaps was uh, Buddy Beheim making first team and, and head scratching in the sense of, uh, yeah, I get why he was so on predictable. Hey, who's the leading scorer? Let's make uh, him first team. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, Buddy Beheim is, is definitely like a good player. He has been for several years now, but 
is just the guy that like he doesn't get to the rim. He doesn't really get to the line. He doesn't, in my opinion, do much to like drive winning. Like he's not a guy that sets up teammates. He takes a lot of jump shots and he, and he makes enough of them. I just don't think he's that spectacular of a player that, that he should be leapfrogging guys like Wendell Moore Jr. or Darion Sebron or Keve Aluma um, or, or you know, Jake LaRavia for that matter. Like all of those guys had better seasons, in my opinion, even if Buddy Beheim averaged you know, more points per game. Like there's, there, we can be more dynamic about how we evaluate these things. But like Beheim is a guy that, you know, would, would be on probably third team at best for me is maybe even closer to honorable mention. Maybe that's on me for, for having a guy who scored that many points on relative efficient play this season that low. But I just don't think he does all that much to drive winning in terms of being like a, a pretty good, but not like, you know, he's not the best shooter in the ACC, you know? Um, so I think Bayheim is probably it. And, and I thought that Matthew Cleveland as sixth man, I had no problems with it. I thought he was one of the best candidates for the award, but I thought there were some guys that you could have looked at that maybe didn't have as many scoring stats as, as Matthew Cleveland, very good player for Florida state, but Hadeem C, Darius Maddox. Um, there were some other guys in the league that I thought were doing good stuff off the bench for their teams. Um, that that maybe flew under the radar a little bit. Like Maddox didn't even get a vote, and, and that's fine. But some of the on-off numbers with Virginia Tech tend to sort of bear out that he was a very important player for the Hokies this yeah. season. Going back to Bayheim though, Saturday was the perfect example of what you're talking about, where he's an empty calorie scorer in that he knew he had to get 30 points to be the leading scorer in the ACC in the regular season over Alondis Williams. And when he got to 30, he put his hands up in the air and – they started celebrating. They're up seven with about a minute to go against Miami. And then they just stopped playing basketball. And <laughs> Miami scored 10 straight points and they won the game. But hey, Buddy Beheim, individual achievement. We did it. Moving things along. How about we get to Saturday night? You and I were both there. It was a special night at Cameron. Gosh, just for the wrong reason. If you're uh, Coach K... And somebody that might be rooting for the Blue Devils. What's a single memory that's going to stick with you, you think, from Saturday night? Yeah, I mean, part of it was just sort of like how, um, you know, I mean, part of it is definitely going to be Caleb Love the first like 60 seconds after UNC won that game. Like I was pretty, uh, where I was seated along press where I was pretty close. Could to, you hear what he said? Like, can you clean I, it I up? Could not, I, I could not hear what he, I mean, he stuck his tongue out, he ran by and then waved goodbye and then had a couple of, uh, choice words, um, but I did not hear, you know, what exactly was said. That'll stick out. I think Duke's pick and roll defense sort of just like crumbling um, in the second half. Like I, I do, I think to an extent Duke had multiple chances to put this game away, including like the, uh, the off the, the, the foul, like block charge call on between Baycott and Mark Williams in the first half, like after Duke had gone on this run, AJ Griffin, it's a three, if they end up calling that a charge on Baycott and, you know, he dipped the shoulder and pushed, you know, extended the arm a little bit. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it was like egregious that they called that like a block or anything like that, but that certainly had a big swing. And then just like RJ Davis, his decision-making down the stretch, um, UNC putting Duke's defense into rotation and Davis making like the correct decisions as a distributor. And when Duke would switch being able to beat, 
uh, Paolo Bancaro on those switches. So those will probably be the things that stick with me the most. Let's get to the NBA. I'm surprised you weren't chopping it up with Adam Silver at the game on Saturday. Tucking, hey, can you out-precise the guys? I don't know if he'd be able to. Let's let's play out-precise the guys right now, though. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. Every week, every week I come in here and it's so easy to put these questions together because we just keep having great basketball games. Uh, if you ever had to make me do this for soccer, the questions would absolutely stink. So you guys are super lucky that we're in here talking about basketball. I was in the AT&T store yesterday watching the Celtics and Nets. And that might be the best basketball game I've watched while in a uh, commercial store where the guy's talking to me and I don't even want to talk to him. I'm just like, dude, there's like a minute left. Can you just watch the game, please? Uh, the Celtics are really putting it together. On a Sunday, Tatum became the second player to record a 50-point game in the regular season in playoffs versus the single team, uh, a single team, before turning 25. I don't need to know about how many points he put together on this team in one year. I just need to know how many 50-point games he's had in his career. Yeah, and keep in mind, he literally just turned 24, too. So, like, you know, he's, he cleared that by uh, a wide margin. Um, just an incredible player. Uh, and the Celtics, they are for real. Um, I'm going to say five 50-point games. I've got five, too. Kid, I've, already, I've already showed Robert my hand. I said five. What we got we a do? split game okay. here. He has right. five. Okay, he has right. five. Okay. And he's so good. He's so good. Is there a reason he's not in the MVP race? Is it because the Celtics aren't good enough or? They got off to a cold start and Tatum was, I mean, he was still very good the first couple months of the season, but was sort of like not playing quite at this level. Um, but like, you've got to start to like, people who are watching the league need to evaluate Boston based off what they are now, not what they were in November, and, and that goes with Tatum. But yeah, I just think too much ground to make up in the MVP race, especially with Embiid and Jokic um, and Giannis and DeRozan and Morant all playing like this. Makes sense. I'm glad you brought up Jokic because he just continues to add to his MVP resume. It was his second career 40-point triple-double. Uh, they both happened this season, so he ke- continues to get better. Continues to get better and better. Uh, how many triple-doubles does Jokic have in his career? So, from a higher number <laughs> to or a lower number to probably a much higher number. Yeah. Have you guys more? seen? Have y'all seen some of the discourse? Do you think he's the um, the best professional athlete in the history of Denver sports? I've seen like this with, team? by the way, Jason Tatum. Is he the greatest NBA player from Duke? I thought that's where you were headed. Huh. Um. I don't know. He's probably not there yet, but he's, he's probably going to get there. It's like there are Grant Hill. Like, yeah, I mean, people don't like remember Kyrie's, young Grant Hill. Kyrie's career is... We're not is, counting Kyrie. Yeah, that's, that's fine if you don't want to. But he's had quite the NBA career as well. 11 um, games. 11 games. You know, Russell Wilson played more games at Wisconsin than Kyrie played at Duke. Never forget true. that. That is true. All right. Um, all right. So, triple doubles for Jokic, that's the question? Yep. Yeah. How many has he... Uh, this is postseason and regular season. 
All right, I'm gonna go with 65. I got 72. Well, Josh, you're gonna take it. He has 79. Yeah. Triple double. <laughs> Do we tie in this sport? Is this like soccer? Uh, I don't know. I think this is tough. I don't think I don't yeah. think there should be a tie. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I've still got to get it. I've still got to get the last question right, though. I you know. know. He. So. It, there's no precedent for that happening. So. Okay, I can I can figure out a way for us to be a winner. Okay. All right. So first okay. off, happy late birthday to Shaq. Uh, he actually holds one of the the weirdest records in the NBA, which is most points scored on your birthday. He, he holds that record. First thing I'm going to ask you guys, he also holds the record for most rebounds on a birthday. So first thing I'm going to ask you guys, how many points did Shaq score? Man, Shaq, the, uh, the glutton. Um, I'm going to go with uh, 60 points. I got 49. You're going to make it a game, man. You're going to make no! it a game. He scored 61 Woo! points on Woo! his birthday. All right, and coming down to it, guys. Look, we're gonna we're gonna take a shot in the dark here. I've looked it up. This was not part of it before, but how many rebounds did Shaq have in that game? Ooh, man, had to be. I mean, had to be a lot. I'm gonna guess. Oh boy, I'm gonna go with. <laughs> I'm gonna go with. Uh, 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 24. I got 21. He got it on the nose, didn't he? This was close. Shaq had 23 rebounds. No! Yes! <laughs> that was. No! I think that's the closest we could not be closer than that. There was oh a tie. Oh my goodness! Woo! Are you kidding me? That's that's stupid. That's stupid. <laughs> I mean, just like the NBA, man, this game keeps getting better and better. It's so that's, rigged. It's just a <laughs> it might be. Tim Donahue over here. Had, I'm going to get suspended chance, for a full year. Calvin for... <laughs> Ridley's probably betting on BG each week on this. Yeah, oh. but, but only, only 1500 though. Yeah. Uh, the account Ralvin Kidley ATL has now been paid out for uh, their win on <laughs> Outprecise the Guys. Uh, what was that account again? Ralvin Kidley. Ralvin Kidley. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Ralvin Kidley, 18. All right, BG. Appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, you guys be good. There he goes. Brian Geisinger. Gosh, I, I can't win this damned game. Can't win it.